the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. I am your host, Corey Haley. My conversation today is with Carolyn Cameron, who is currently an instructor at the University of Calgary in the Workland School of Education. Throughout her career, she's held many roles, teacher, assistant principal, principal, district principal, and has even worked for Alberta Education, helping to implement new principal quality standards for the entire province. She has far-ranging experience that helps us to improve our practice and to get better. If you like this interview, connect with Intersection Education. You can go to our website, intersectioneducation.com, or follow us on Twitter, at IntersectionEd. We also appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and leave a review. Here's my conversation with soon-to-be doctor, hopefully, Carolyn Cameron. Well, hi, Carolyn. How are you today? I'm great, Corey. Thanks. How are you doing? I'm I'm really well as well. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Um, let's get right at the start. Uh, I want to say uh, the start, but not very long ago. Uh, how did you become a teacher? And what were some of the things that led you to get into the teaching profession? Okay. Um, so I actually hung out with kids a lot. I, I did a lot of babysitting and I did a lot of volunteer work with, with uh, kid groups, horseback riding and uh, it was scouting. And uh, I think I just never actually grew up myself. Kind of always <laughs> love hanging out with kids, like to have adventure and question and just, uh, just really enjoyed being around kids. And then I, I think some really interesting teachers I've had over the, the course of my school experience, some, some really passionate people who were very creative and very um, interesting and uh, supported my, I loved school. So I think the two kind of fit together. Right. Um, Now you were a teacher for uh, a long time and then you transitioned into being a principal. Uh, Then you Mm -hmm. transitioned into central office role and you've worked at the ministry of education and now you're in a university setting that, that, is really interesting, I find, because you've got all these different perspectives. And I want yeah. to know, can you talk a little bit about what you've learned from these moves and, and, and maybe the different roles that you've had? What are some of the perspectives that you've gained through the different lenses that you've looked through? Yeah, like you touched on it completely when you said broadening the perspective. That's exactly what happened. It's it's like, you know, from all, all the other... Um, changes I've had the last two moving from a uh, school district to a, to a provincial perspective just reminds me of what it was like when I moved uh, from teaching in a classroom to teaching or uh, to being an administrator in the school. The, the perspective just broadened uh, immensely and, um, you know, helped me understand a bigger, a bigger view of education. And the last move um, for sure uh, to a provincial level really opened my eyes in a huge way. It almost felt like I was uh, 
a first year teacher again, just, wow, this is how it goes out here. And it, you know, it was a huge learning curve. And, and what, what I discovered is how complicated uh, I'll, I'll take even for how complex the whole system is and um, how difficult it is the further out you get from the classroom to feel that your contribution or the change that you're making can actually have some traction and actually make a difference. Like you really have a hard time finding, um, looking for evidence that anything you're doing is actually matters. Mm -hmm. And and so it takes a lot more patience to work through the processes as the further away from the classroom you get. So uh, uh, government level, it it was incredibly interesting to see um, and to hear, like, I mean, I was only there for a year, but the conversation around how slow things moved and, Something so exciting that happened the year I was there was the um, the professional practice standards got signed off by the minister. Well, that's been that's been in the works for the the, the principal standards been in the works for ten years, and it finally got signed off when I was there. I was like, wow, this is a big, exciting, uh, you know, time to be in Alberta education to see this actually something actually come through and and become uh, you know a ministerial order. So uh, that was exciting, um, but. Honestly, change is really slow at that level. Um, and the other the piece I learned, which, um, you know, I learned through each phase as I got a, a further away from the classroom was that, you know, the education partners spread far and wide. And there's there's so many more people at the table at the provincial level um, when you're trying to make decisions and how things uh, happen. Yeah. Well, let's get back to a place where maybe you felt like you had a little bit more of uh, of a say uh, or impact, and that's when you were in your role as principal. I, I know one of the areas that you worked on was really getting teachers to work together. This idea of collaboration, of co-instruction, and um, actually one of the first times that I really saw a successful model of you know c- two teachers with a with a bunch of students was 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 in one of your schools. Why do you think that this was important? Getting getting teachers to work together and what are some ways that you helped to facilitate this to happen? Mm -hmm. You know, Corey, um, something that I picked up way back in my undergraduate uh, work when I was, um, you know, getting my, my teaching degree, this quote stuck with me and it's, uh, you know, when teachers stop learning, so do their students. That was always with me and I was always a learner myself. And so I always wanted to get better and I always wanted to keep um, you know, improving in my practice. And, and I don't know, I had this innate uh, understanding that I would never get it right, that I always needed to keep working on trying to figure out how to get better as a teacher. And so then when when I started to explore, and it, and it wasn't me that, that initiated this, this was a, a visionary principal that I worked with, um, asked a uh, few of us teachers if we were interested in in working together and I said absolutely I'd love to work with these other other teachers and we we kind of um we pushed forward together and created a a a really different environment for students we we created a, a big team teaching space and we had multiple grades in that area and we really explored the whole idea of job embedded day-to-day professional learning from and with each other we were so engaged and motivated in the work because we were sharing it together sharing students sharing problems challenges um, ideas planning it was it that was probably the most powerful experience the first most powerful experience of my teaching career and from that it springboarded into uh, when I became an administrator I wanted to create that 
in more places because it was energizing, engaging, and powerful learning for kids and for the adults working with them. We were continuous learners together. So I think that's where it came from. And then, um, and so then it's interesting as time's gone on in the last, well, four years for sure, I'm, I'm doing so much research around this. And this is, this is social learning theory. This is how we learn and get better. So it isn't just, oh, let's, get some teachers together and share all the tasks and management and jobs of, you know, you book the field trips, you do the permission letter. It's not that idea. It's about really becoming um, collaborative, reflective researchers together about our practice. Like, how are we getting better? What are we going to do to get better? What is better? Let's look at the, I think um, we learned a lot about looking at student work and, and, you know, learning from and with each other. And so, um, that that was a big process for for me as a teacher, and then and then trying to work with staff to bring that to more teachers across the whole school. Well, and I want to get I'll get into the evidence, and you touched on that. I don't want to lose that, but before we do, um, I would like to know. I imagine that not everyone that you worked with embraced this whole idea of team teaching with open arms. Um, so what were some of the ways that you were able to, to make your case? I mean, obviously you, you had lived this experience. Uh, how did you not sell it, but how did you um, maybe convince others that this was going to be mm-hmm. an improvement in their practice? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and that's a great question because there's a difference between, you know, saying mandating it, we all must, yeah. and then encouraging gently, uh, why don't you try this? And the way it was, you know, the way it was brought to me as a teacher is, why don't you try this? Do you want to try this? And we, we tried it. And and it's like this, it's this excitement and this um, enthusiasm is almost contagious. Like people start to say, what are they doing over there? Why are they always so happy? And they're so like, they're just always talking school and talking student learning. So I did not do it that way. (laughs) that would have been the smart move. And uh, what, what I did do was we, we said, everybody's working in teams, everybody's working. And you know what? Not everybody was ready for it, Corey. So it is certainly a, a balancing, um, a, a balance of creating um, excitement and engagement by those who want to uh, explore that. And then starting to build on that. If I had to do life over again, that's the way I would have approached it. We didn't approach it that way when we when we started at the school where I became, I was administrator. We opened the school brand new and we said, this is the way we work in here. This is how we do things. And so people reluctantly came along and um, and there were a lot of reluctant people because they didn't understand, well, why is this better than me just going and doing this myself? And it's not until you create, you have to have a, a culture of trust. You have to create the trust in the relationship um, around learning, but it takes time. And so it, it, it is something that, that is really difficult to, to mandate across the board. Um, but once people start, if you open up the doors and open up the experiences and people start sharing that um, excitement and energy, it, it just leaks out. It's contagious. Mm-hmm. And so more people want to do it. So it's it's a real it's a really that's a, that's probably one of the most tricky, uh, in my opinion, tricky areas of being an administrator is finding that healthy balance between people engaging because they want to, as opposed to being controlled or it's mandated. Right. Now you mentioned 
that you came around through this team teaching as well to have more of a focus on evidence and student work mm-hmm. to inform what you were doing. Um, maybe talk mm-hmm. a little bit about this, about that process and what, what your understanding is now and, and then how that might look if you were to say to other teachers, hey, this this is really important. Here's why. Yeah. So um, I wish I was brilliant enough to have figured that out on my own. Uh, I wasn't. Um, in, in the work I was doing as a teacher, we we naturally brought these things to the table because we were sharing kids a lot. Um, so that was more of a natural process. But then when I started to work with the staff on creating that um, that shared process of looking at student uh, student work as evidence of impact of, on our teaching practices, it was a professional uh, learning organization that uh, was our critical friend and our partner in our professional learning as a staff. And they are the folks who really helped us get into like that inquiry cycle. It's Helen Timperley's work mm-hmm. of looking at evidence of student learning uh, to decide where it is that you need to improve as a teacher. What do our students need? What do I need as a teacher to learn to be able to do in order to have the impact on the student learning? So that inquiry cycle was um was not my brainchild for sure. That's Helen Timperley's research. And that I wouldn't have even known about Corey unless if, if it wasn't for the professional learning uh, organization that we were partnered up with. And, at that and was, time. That, was that and Galileo? For many years. Was that who, That's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, we've talked about Galileo. And, and I'm not sure, sure if many people know what Galileo is. I mean, they're out of the U of C. Maybe you want to just talk yeah. a little bit about um, about that network, um, about why yeah. you think it, it it really is respected throughout Alberta, because I think it's got a great reputation. Yeah, I would agree, and and it's um, it's a professional. It's the professional learning arm of the University of Calgary. So, because it is so closely associated with university and current research, you know that you're getting. You know, you're not getting the final answer on anything because we have no final answers on anything, but you're getting the the current research-based approaches to how we would go about improving learning for students. And so they're looking at, you know, um, the learning sciences, they're looking at, uh, and it's international studies and, and research that they're bringing to the work, which then um, we take into our practice but it's not um, the thing that's really different about that organization, Corey, that's that's made them um, for me. And I'm only going to speak about my experience as a school administrator. We I had the uh, the privilege of working alongside them for, I think, probably eight years, maybe. Um, and not just not to the same degree of support all eight of those years. Like sometimes it was just a check in and sometimes it was an ongoing support for, for teachers. Um, but basically it, it wasn't a canned program that they give you. It's a process that I just described the Helen Timperley's process. It was a process of designing learning, uh, that fit the context, that fit our unique students needs, that fit our teachers needs. So it was really, um, personalized learning for the staff, uh, and teaching us how to become, um, reflective designers of learning so teaching teachers how they need to look at student work look at the evidence of learning to determine if the learning and and the work that they're doing with their pedagogy is actually getting to where we want to go with our students and I mean that that involves a lot of design as a staff we need to first of all agree and develop a shared understanding of what is quality learning 
what is strong, you know, what does strong student learning look like? What do we expect our learners to be able to do? Um, Dylan Williams is, has got a lot of a lot of research on that and that whole um, idea of assessment as learning, the metacognitive uh, work that we do with our students to help them become aware of themselves as learners. And when you started this um, conversation, you said, you know, you and I have had so many different conversations about so many different things um, over the years that we've worked together. Um, I think the reason we have is because it's all connected. It's all tied in together. And it's all about strong teaching practice, right? And then how do we foster that and continue to improve the teaching practice of of our teachers in the old, in my opinion, in the old uh, paradigm of how teachers learn, it's their undergraduate program, they learn at university, and then they come out, and boom, they're ready to go there, go be a teacher. The new paradigm would say, in my opinion, um, no, undergraduate work is just scratching the surface. Once you get into the school, the real place where you do your real learning is actually the school. And so the role of the teachers inside a school that learns is that they are continuously working together to learn and grow and get better. And the role of the principal is to ensure that that's happening and to support that and to learn along with the teachers and to uh, recognize that Education is something that's never going to um, stand still. It's always going to be evolving and moving forward and rejuvenating and regenerating and growing. And so we have to be a lively, vibrant organization. And uh, that scares a lot of people because they want to say, oh, just, you know, five more years and I'll be like the master teacher. Well, no, you're never going to arrive at being a master teacher. It's a a lifelong process, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Absolutely does. And I think Dylan William has some pretty strong uh, language quotes uh, around that process too, <laughs> which is one of my favorites. Uh, um, you're finishing up your doctorate through the University of Calgary, and I know you're not quite done, although I think you're pretty pretty close. I, I hesitate to always ask this because for a lot of people, it's a huge amount of work. Can you mm-hmm. summarize some of the main points in less than six hours? Uh, <laughs> uh, can you can you give us maybe some hints at what we might look at when when it comes mm-hmm. out uh, if it's published? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Corey. Uh, so yes, there are some there are some key um, key understandings, and what it is the research I'm doing is, is on instructional leadership and there's a ton of research out there right now about instructional leadership. And it's, um, you know, that we know that um, the number one impact that a school can influence in terms of, of student learning, the, 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 the person who has the number one uh, influence is a teacher. Um, so it, it only makes sense that, a, you know, strong teaching practice, strong, a, a strong teacher is going to have impact on their classroom of students. Well, if we're going to look at a whole school, um, it would be the whole school of all the teachers would have the impact. And so who and how do we make sure that that's going to happen? And that's the, the, the role of the instructional leader, right? That's the role of, of the leadership team to ensure that teachers are growing and getting better so that every student in every classroom is guaranteed you know, strong, strong quality instruction. So that's why instructional leadership, in in my opinion, um, has been 
is so important right now in terms of everything we can be doing in the world of education, what would be the one thing that matters the most? Well, I think strong leadership that understands the value and importance of strong teaching practice. So um, that's what this dissertation I, I dove into research about, but it's not just the research that already is existing on a broad sweeping scale. It's about the press. So that research is there. What is it actually like to walk in the shoes of a principal who is trying to balance 50 million things in a school? And you know what it's like uh, to be an administrator uh, with so many competing demands on your time. How do you actually maintain a focus on instructional leadership and do some of the things that we talked about earlier in this conversation, which is create a culture where teachers are continuously learning and growing and getting better. And we are school teachers as opposed to classroom teachers that we recognize are, we have a shared commitment and responsibility to each other to navigate the, the, you know, often very challenging bumpy terrain of, of being in a school and, and, um, it's a it's a complex dynamic place, and there's so much going on. Well, how do we, as principals, in, and the perspective of this research is of a principal, how do we create a school community that actually learns together? And so what I'm what I'm listening to and learning more about is this whole idea of being decentralized. It's a decentralized process that. You know, it, it takes the actions of many. So it kind of goes back to what I was talking about before, this whole idea of collaboration and teamwork being so huge. And it's not about just sharing specific tasks. It's about actually um, engaging in processes of problem solving, dialogue um, together to, to figure things out and, and to, to learn and grow and get better. And in really diverse and interesting contexts, you know, so that's, that's what it's about. And there's no one final, oh, if you just do this, <laughs> there's no silver bullet. But, it, but, you know, what I am learning from, from the work is it absolutely requires um, a collaborative commitment for mm-hmm. people to, to do it together. It's too challenging and too, um, too complex for any one person to think they can figure this all out on their own. So it just goes back to things. I, I kind of learned early on in my teaching career, right? Like when I was able to to work with other teachers and in an environment there, we just care. They were our kids. That's the kind of thing in a school. It's our kids and we're all learners together. And so basically foundational to all of that, and this is in, in a lot of research, but it's also coming out in the, in the interviews and things that I've, I've had with principals is it really, really depends on a, a culture of trust. Uh, and a culture of letting go of control of other people's learning. So we know in classrooms, when we can be that person who inspires curiosity and engagement with our students, we're going to get them coming along a lot further and being really interested in learning. Same thing goes for adult learners, the staff. Um, You talked about it before. How do you get people to actually want to team up Well, it's, you know, this whole idea of controlling other people's learning and mandating their learning is really, really challenging. You can't do it. They're not engaged. They're they're compliant, right? Mm -hmm. So what I'm learning through this, and and I wish I'd learned this well before my first year as an administrator, (laughs) that, you know, you, you really have to, you have to inspire curiosity with the adults as well as the kids. (laughs) That's a, it's a great line.
I think that's a really good tip. Let's move into education. Uh, a couple questions more generally uh, about education, and and I have a sneaking suspicion that that we're going to retalk about many of the themes that we've already kind of brought up. But is there something about education that you believe is true that most people or a high percentage of people would disagree with you about? Yeah. I think a couple of those themes I just talked about, and I don't know how many people would agree or disagree. I don't know. Uh, like, I think education is changing. I just don't know how, how it's slow, though, <laughs> I think. <laughs> but this whole idea of isolated, fragmented classrooms and schedules and just this disconnected uh, education system, um, I think, is something that we've, I don't know if we do it consciously or by choice we don't blow up timetables more often that we don't create time and space for people to work together we're so fixed on a bell schedule we're so fixed on my classroom your classroom my subject your subject and we've we've created all these um these little fragmented structures and that's we haven't done that ourselves we've just inherited a system that's always been in place so i think um for me, it's, it goes back to this whole idea of, of connecting, connecting people, connecting ideas, connecting subject disciplines, connecting. Uh, so we're not learning in little disconnected, fragmented bits. Um, so I don't know that everybody sees things that way because I think that we haven't all, I don't know if we've done things in a different way, like kids living out of lockers and going from class to class, block to block. Is that still, is that, the best way for learning to happen. I know that's not how I learn. I know um, it, it's interesting this last summer I taught uh, last two summers, I, I was um, privileged to teach a couple of master's courses in Parkland for uh, that cohort of, of teachers. And the first summer that I was with them, we had two courses going on. I was teaching morning, other person was teaching afternoon. And then the second summer it worked out that I was teaching full day, all day and the other person was teaching full day all day the following week. And they liked the full day all day better so that they could focus their learning in one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. So, but we don't do that for our kids, right? We have them focus on 50 million fragmented things that they can't make connections. They don't have the time to reflect and go deep. So I think a lot of those traditional structures, including the way we organize our classrooms and our teachers, I, I think are, are things that, that's what I believe strongly in education needs to, we need to rework. Mm-hmm. When you think of the term master teacher, who or what comes to mind and why? Um, I, I think I've met so many master teachers over the years, and I don't think it requires a certain amount of years being in the profession because I've met some some early career teachers who in my mind are master teachers and I've, you know, mid career, end of career and everywhere in between. And I think it's just a, a disposition is, is more than anything. And the disposition I think is, is um, just recognizing a, a humility about being a, a continuous learner, open-minded, um, uh, absolutely dedicated to, to building relationships with kids, with families, with staff, with everybody who's, who's a partner in education. So really relationship focused, um, compassionate, caring, um, and again, really dedicated to understanding the power of working with others. 
So that's my, that's a disposition and, you know, it's hardworking, dedicated, but also, you know, there's a, there's an old school way of thinking about really successful people, right? It's that if they have a million things on their agenda and they can whip through this and get to that and do this and every moment of their time is spent, well, that's not my, also, that's not my, um, that's not my opinion of what a, what a dedicated person is. A dedicated person is, is committed to the work, but also finds the balance of, you know, rejuvenating and, and re-energizing and, and recharging the battery. Um, that's also a big piece too. Uh, you may laugh at this next question because I often get that. Let's say teaching was easy. <laughs> what would mm-hmm. it look like? In other words, if we were to reduce teaching to the most essential, we were to cut away all the fluff, all of the inherited structures that you talk about, mm-hmm. what do you think it would look like or what do you think teaching would be? I love that question, by the way, and I'm not laughing at it. I just love it because when you ask us to strip away all the things that gets back to what is really, what is school for? What do we, what do we want school to be? And I think it's about every day just being curious, wondering, exploring, um, exploring what we wonder about, asking questions. So just like we are before anybody imposes control on us when we're four years old and five years old before we get sent to the system to be programmed and controlled uh, to follow the curriculum, I, I, we're natural learners, aren't we? We're curious. Kids are, are naturally curious. And I think it's, it's not the fault of anyone that, that that changes over time. It's just it happens when we start to become more aware of what are the expectations of me. I need to please this teacher. I need to do this. And we start to lose that. But I, I think um, it's like when we travel as adults or we do other things, we're learning uh, something that we actually want to learn, like we're picking up a new hobby or whatever it is. Um, Nobody needs to crack the whip for us and say, hey, you need to go and learn about um, the Louvre today because you're in Paris. Like, make sure you go. We just naturally are curious and want to go do these things. So that's if I had to just boil down education and, and school and teaching to the essence of it, it would be how do we create curious learners each and every day? How do we create a culture of curiosity where uh, – where students want to learn from and with each other and they investigate and they learn together and they, they create things together that they, that helps them discover more of who they are. Do you have a favorite failure or success? And what I mean by favorite failure or success is, is it something, Mm -hmm. a situation that might've been positive or negative that, that helped you learn a really important lesson, something that kind of sticks in your head. Yeah, my biggest fail of all time, the one that jumps out at me, I haven't, I've had many failures, I'm sure I know I have. But the one that really jumps out at me is, I, um, this was oh, quite a few years ago, at inner school, we were looking at creating a new report card. This was before, we later, a, a division report card had, had come out, but uh, a new one that didn't have marks or letter grades. Uh, but we explored this. We were given the green light to pilot something in our own school. So I was very excited because I had very committed teachers who were on about assessment and really wanted to, to get this, uh, to get this right. And so I, I had a, a I used to have a, a group of teacher leaders called a design team and we would meet regularly and, and kind of map out where we were headed as a school and figure out what we, uh, what we needed to do with our staff and 
how to grow and get better. Anyway, this design team convinced me that we, our pilot should involve every student in the school. Hmm. And I'm like, that's not a pilot. That's a full on. <laughs> uh, and I said, I no, I was scared to death. I said, there's no way that's there's going to be like chaos everywhere. The parents aren't ready for this. And this group of teachers who represented every grade level uh, said, no, we're ready. And I said, okay, are you sure? You might be ready individually. Is your whole team of teachers ready? Oh, yeah, we're all ready. I said, your parents are going to be ready for this. We guarantee Carol and her parents are going to be ready. Well, no, it was too much too fast. And so um, I listened to the teachers because at the end of the day, it is not me that's going to ever sell or bring anything new in. It's going to be the teachers working with the students and families. And so I listened to them and I continued to listen to them all the way through that process. And we, we had a lot of hiccups and bumps and eventually we got everybody along. But the thing is, we weren't all at the same readiness level. They all, the teachers were not quite ready. And so it, it involved a lot of teacher meetings and, and conversations with a lot of families to help bring them along. And that took some time. What did I learn from that? You have to start, start small. <laughs> <laughs> You have to start small and, 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 and grow. You know, you can't just, like, change doesn't happen with a whole full-on rollout. You, you just that. So that's my biggest learning from that experience. And it was a really tough year, a couple of years that we had to keep. We had a lot, a lot of extra meetings and different things trying to help people learn. But at the same time, you can't be afraid of change. You can't be afraid that, you know, of, of, of people challenging you. But at the same time, you need to just work through things a little more slowly and I'm not always the most patient person to work through through things slowly. So <laughs> I'm still learning that, that lesson. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a couple quick hitter questions. Um, they mm-hmm. might, they might have more, but um, we're not looking for more. Um, do you mm-hmm. have a favorite education related app or website? Well, I used to before I started this dissertation. I used to I used to spend quite a bit of time actually on Twitter, mm-hmm. and uh, not quite a bit, but I, I would do regular regular dives in and, and check out what was going on. I I would you know follow links, and so I I, I liked to keep up to date that way. Um, and then I had a few favorite blogs back in in those days. This seems like a long time ago, but I I just haven't had time in the last. Uh, it's been three years since I've been doing this deep dive into the research. So I haven't spent a lot of time, but um, Edutopia, LeaderCast were things I looked at, blogs, certain blogs. Uh, there was one from a guy, a leader from New Zealand who was retired, and I really loved reading his stuff. It's leading and learning. Uh, I used to look at, um, oh, Heppel, Stephen Heppel's stuff. He, he's, I'm going to say England. Yeah, UK. Anyway, just certain individuals, their blogs, I would look at another gal, um, Edna Saxon, she's from Australia, I believe. Anyway, she had a blog, What Ed Said, and I really enjoyed reading her. She was a strong inquiry-based uh, teacher, and um, and she moved into working with, with other teachers. So, I, I, But I honestly, the last three years, Corey, I haven't spent much time on, on apps or websites. <laughs> well, that maybe moves into the next question. How about a book or some articles yeah. that you um, suggest to people or that you quote or refer to a lot? Yeah. So my my favorite, which which is really um, 
it's all highlighted and it's got all kinds of sticky notes through it is Vivian Robinson's student centered leadership. Uh, I came across that one a few years back, but I, and I still like for my research for this paper or this dissertation I'm working on uh, it, her work and the work of Helen, Helen Timperley is, is one that I, I look at quite a bit. Um, uh, who else? Uh, and of course, um, Dylan William and um, I've, I've been doing a lot of reading on learning organizations, uh, Peter Senge. Mm-hmm. Uh, systems thinking and that's it's that's been very interesting what's something that you do every day or most days that keeps you well and healthy uh i meditate every day i write in a gratitude journal every day and i get out and get active so i used to be running every day but now it's it's a it's a walk every day and uh, try and get in some yoga too <laughs> is there an organization or a person that's inspiring you right now? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. So this is going to be no big surprise to you. It's uh, it's the Galileo, Galileo Educational Network. I really feel like they are, uh, they're an organization that understands the value of current research and current research into practice and then practice informing research. So I think that's a model of, of how we should be structuring and organizing our system so that every school district and every school is a learning organization Uh, you can't do that work by yourself you need a critical friend you need a critical uh, you need a partner in it in the work and um, I think yeah organizations like that that bring current research uh, in a process model not just a here's here's a program go do it Mm -hmm. but you know into that inquiry process where, where we are all you know actively researching our practice and working together to find ways to continue to, to grow. So yeah, it would be Galileo. And then the person of course is the, the founder, Sharon Friesen. I, um, Dr. Friesen has been, uh, she's actually my supervisor for my dissertation. So she's been, it's been kind of a real blessing to be able to work one-on-one with her and get feedback on my writing and on my research. I, I'm feeling really, uh, really grateful for that opportunity. <laughs> That's great. Now, what's next for you? Uh, you mentioned you're moving into a new role. I heard about a new city. Um, may, maybe talk a little bit about that and maybe some of the projects you're looking at taking on once this uh, dissertation's over. Well, I think the projects are going to start before the dissertation's over, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is good because otherwise nothing else will happen. But um, no, I, I'm I'm really excited. This is this is for me, Corey. This uh, is starting. I'm starting like the second chapter, right? I just retired from uh, from my uh, career as a teacher and, a, and an administrator, and now uh, I'm going into my second chapter, which is a, an educational consultant with the Galileo Educational Network. And I sound I sound like some sort of um, <laughs> I'm like plugging them, uh, you know, all through this conversation. But but the truth is. Uh, I'm, I've landed my dream job because I, when I was working, I mean, my dream job was teaching, always teaching, will always be a teacher, but now it feels like I'm still continuing that teaching process, but teaching and learning, do you know, it's like, I get to, uh, teach some university courses. Uh, I'll be working, um, with the, uh, Galileo educational network and and the contracts that they've already uh, established uh, with different school districts. And I think their work um, is focused now more on developing the instructional leadership within a whole school district. So they work a little more closely with central office staff and senior executive teams and um, 
superintendents, and that's 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 exciting for me um, to go into into different districts around the province. Because I had a little bit of that uh, with Alberta Education. I was uh, with different um, meetings and different uh, presentations and stuff we did this past year. My eyes were open to different districts around the province, and what was lacking in that role was I, I didn't get that opportunity to be a teacher hmm. uh, and to and to work alongside of people and, and learn with them and, and look at research together. And so this role would, would bring back the teaching piece and still get into schools and classrooms, which that's, that's, <laughs> that's where the magic is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, let's say people love what you're talking about, uh, and they'd love to connect with you. What are some of the best ways for people to get a hold of you or to follow what you're doing? Right. Well, I'm, I'm not much on Twitter these days, but I will get back on Twitter. Once the, that's the one thing that's going to pick up again. Um, so Twitter, I, um, Carolyn, I think I'm at Carolyn Cameron or Carolyn J. Cameron. And then, uh, LinkedIn for sure. I'm on there. And uh, I have an email at the University of Calgary, uh, Carolyn Cameron at the U of C dot CA, I believe that's what it is. That's great. Well, I want to thank you so much for sharing um, a lot of really good tips and, and, and a lot of your experience. Uh, I'm excited for you in this new role, and I can't wait to see what, what, what you do and, and kind of the impact that you have. So thank you. Oh, thanks for the opportunity, Corey. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks. That was my conversation with Carolyn Cameron. Before you go, I'd like to recognize that the land where this interview took place is a sacred place, and that it has a long history of human existence. This particular land has helped people like the Cree, Assiniboine, Nakoda, Stoney, and Sioux live for thousands of years. Let's continue to live well and to respect this land. Thanks. We'll be back soon with our next episode.